Hello, and thank you for joining us today. My name is Frank Spangler, and this is Worldviews, a podcast that seeks to find harmony between the philosophies and worldviews of religion and science. In our last lesson, Silencing the Sadducees, I presented a concept that proposed how it may be possible to have a very old earth with complex life living on it, dating back millions of years, and still believe in a recent, literal, 24-hour day, six-day creation week. Now, of course, whenever you try and do something like that, you open yourself up to criticism from both sides. Those who believe in an old earth and deep time will give you grief for trying to hang on to a recent creation event. Those that believe in a young earth will accuse you of trying to accommodate evolution and disregarding the inspiration of the Bible, or making God a liar, or all three, as the case may be. And so, I want to spend some time in this lesson clarifying my position somewhat. I would like to start by sharing my position on the theory of evolution. Many evolutionary biologists will balk at the idea of even calling it a theory. They will declare that there is now such overwhelming evidence that life on this earth evolved that it can no longer be called a theory, but should simply be called a fact. And indeed, that is how it is presented in most classrooms and biology textbooks. Personally, I find this to be quite the bait and switch. And it is not like I haven't given the theory a chance. I've read Darwin. I've read many books written by evolutionary biologists. And I have to say that I just did not find the arguments very convincing or satisfying. There is, of course, plenty of evidence that small changes or adaptations do take place in all living organisms all of the time. I don't think there are many, even in Christian communities, who disagree with that. It is how we have such an amazing diversity of plant and animal life on our planet. Everyone can easily see how with just a little guided selection from breeders, dogs, and other animals can take on amazing differences in size and looks and that it can be done in a very relatively small amount of time. Whether the changes are caused by small genetic mutations that may provide an organism with an advantage in a particular environment, or the random expressions of traits that were already built into the genome of the plant or animal that helps that life form to perform better in a new environment, These positive adaptations can allow the organism to survive longer and is thus more likely to pass these beneficial traits on to the next generation. Some biologists 
are now even suggesting the idea that pressures of a new environment might even trigger the expression of traits that will make the organism better able to survive. Traits that were already programmed into the genome of an organism, just not expressed before because there was no need for that trait prior to the migration to the new environment. I actually find that proposal most fascinating. To me, this kind of change has the fingerprints of an intelligent mind that programs contingency plans right into the genome of every creature. This makes change and adaptation not proof of naturalistic evolution at all, but rather evidence of an intelligent, wise, compassionate coder creator. If it is a small population that has become isolated from a larger population by a natural barrier caused by, say, a natural disaster, these changes can spread very rapidly through a population. In some cases, the changes may become so pronounced over time that even if the small population is somehow reunited with the original parent population, the two groups may have difficulty interbreeding, and they would now be designated by science as two separate species. When I studied this phenomena at my undergrad Bible college, we called this natural process microevolution. I'm not sure if that was the best term. I don't really see a lot of evolution going on in these kinds of adaptations. For me, the term evolution has a connotation of a system that grows or develops from a very simple form to a much more complex form over time. That uh, one-celled organisms can, if given enough time, evolve to the wide variety of complex plant and animal life with all of the diverse body plans that we have on Earth today through random naturalistic processes alone. Unfortunately for the theory of evolution, there just is not a lot of evidence to support this kind of massive jumps in development taking place either in nature today or as recorded by the fossil record. There are many examples of fossils that are determined to be millions of years old that are identical to life forms that are still with us today, showing us clear evidence that organisms tend to keep their basic forms over very long periods of time without any major change. There just seems to be in place some very strong laws of genetics or a general fixation of basic groups of organisms. So while we do find plenty of evidence for a lot of lateral change and 
adaptations. There just is not much that has been found in the way of transitional forms from one major group of life to another. So, if lateral changes can be called evolution, then I suppose, yes, there's plenty of evidence for evolution. But after all is said and done, a dog is still a dog. A horse is still a horse, of course. And a finch is still just a finch. So rather than call these small adaptations micro-evolution, I prefer to call it simply speciation or an organism's ability to adapt to new environments. I don't believe that most Christians have any issue at all with the evidence that we have for this kind of change or adaptation that we observe all around us. If any Christian does object to the idea that small changes happen in organisms, it is probably because they just haven't really stopped to think about it that much or make careful observations of nature. Perhaps it would be helpful for them to think a little about the implications of the biblical flood. Many conservative thinking Christians believe that Noah's flood was an event that destroyed not only the then known world, but the entire world and all life on it. The ark would have only had room for a sampling of all of the major kinds of animals, what we might call family groups, or perhaps genus groups in biological terms today. Now, many Christians date the flood to happening about 4,300 years ago. This means that from the few animals that came out of the ark, representing the main family groups of creatures, we have, just 4,300 years later, all of the amazing diversity of life that we observe on our earth today. This represents a rate of speciation, or evolution, if you want to call it that, that would make even the most dedicated evolutionary biologists blush. So, of all people, Christians who believe in the total destruction of the earth by a flood 4,300 years ago should be the first to admit that there is an undeniable evidence for microevolution or speciation, adaptive change in creatures and plant life. But here's the big bait and switch. Evangelists of the theory of evolution will point to this kind of micro-change that we see all around us as proof that change happens and then switch to what we might call macro-evolution. They submit that the small changes that we see all around us accumulate over millions of years and that these small changes have brought about unguided development from very simple forms of microbial life to the very complex forms of life that exist on earth today. 
including mankind, through random processes alone. That's a big jump. That's a big bait and switch. Here's the rub. There's just no good evidence for macroevolution. In fact, there's so little evidence for the evolution of life on this kind of scale, where the simple becomes complex by random mutations and natural forces alone, I would submit that the theory of evolution should have been abandoned long ago. That's how science works, or at least how it is supposed to work. If a theory is examined and tested over 160 years and it still has huge problems, huge gaps that cannot be confirmed, it is usually abandoned. Darwin and his contemporaries could be excused for believing that life could self-assemble, self-develop by random chance alone. They were working with magnifying glasses and no knowledge of genetics. In those days, if meat was left in a jar and worms appeared inside the meat, it was considered by many as evidence of the natural appearance of life on its own. We don't have the excuse of primitive ideas or primitive tools today. We have looked through an electron microscope. We know how incredibly complex even a single-celled organism is. We know how incredibly sophisticated even the simple cell is with all of its incredible processes. We have followed a strain of bacteria over 50,000 generations, and in the end, it is still just bacteria. After 160 years of fossil hunting, the elusive transitional forms of life that should be everywhere in the fossil record are almost non-existent. We now know about genetics and that most genetic mutations are detrimental to an organism and that the deformed individual often does not survive, let alone rise to the top of the herd to pass on the mutated change. And this is just scratching the surface. No one has even come close to pointing out how life got started on its own in the first place to even allow for evolution from the simple to the complex. I would submit that if this were any other line of scientific investigation, the theory of evolution would have long ago been discarded. I would propose that if Darwin himself were alive today, that he would be among the first to discard the theory, knowing what we now know today. And this is not just me talking. There are plenty of naturalistic, atheistic scientists that recognize this, have written about this, and long for a better explanation of how life could have gotten started and evolved, undirected, undesigned. You can easily find their writings through a simple Google search. 
But I expect until a replacement theory can be determined and agreed upon, the theory of evolution will be the public flag that many will uphold as fact. It is kind of an unspoken code upheld by evolutionary biologists that discarding Darwin's theory without a reasonable replacement would only lead back to a creator and supernatural intervention in the events of this earth. And many believe that this would be the destruction of science. The trouble with this position is that it totally goes against every established process of the scientific method. In regular scientific research, when evidence for a theory falls away, the theory makes way for new proposals. Personally, I take issue with the proposals of the theory of evolution on three points. First of all, in order for the theory to work, you have to first have an environment that is conducive to life, that can sustain life, that is friendly for life. Physicists and chemists tell us that there are at least 150 independent systems that need to be very finely tuned in order for us to have an earth like ours, to have a universe like ours, that can offer the kind of environment where life as we know it could possibly get started. If any one of those 150 systems, such as the force of gravity, the force of electromagnetism, the forces that allow for the formation of oxygen and carbon, to name just a few examples. If any one of these 150 systems was off just slightly, life could not exist. Secondly, without an intelligent mind to design and create, the chances of life first assembling on its own through random chance alone are astronomical. This is further complicated by the fact that the self-assembled organism would need to come complete with the ability to replicate, or it would quickly die and the random process would need to start all over again. Thirdly, even if you were to ever have a simple self-replicating organism to get started on Earth randomly, you would still have to somehow have that simple life form make the jump to diverse, complex body designs with eyes, smell, taste, touch, digestive systems, and a group of organisms that work together to allow them to live, survive, prosper in ecosystems that somehow naturally balance themselves out with just the right mix of diverse types of life all at the same time. The idea that all of this could somehow come together 
on its own is for me just not very statistically possible, realistic, logical, or satisfying. And so I wanted to make my position clear on that. The reason that I am suggesting that Christians and other creationists need to reevaluate their position on an old earth is not because I am trying to attempt to accommodate naturalistic evolution or in any way suggest that random or natural processes can in any way account for life on our planet. For me, the great Cambrian explosion of life, with the amazing evidence of new complex body designs, as evidenced by the fossils from that time, is clear evidence of God creating, God designing, God planting. Not life suddenly evolving from the simple one-celled organisms to the new complex life on its own. Now, I can understand why some people might have concluded that this was what I was doing. It is generally believed by many Christians that the only reason that science came up with the idea of deep time, billions of years, in the first place, was so that there would be enough time for all of the small incremental changes to accumulate enough to account for naturalistic evolution. And it may be true that that was a valid concern at one time by Christians. But it has long ago been recognized that three and a half billion years is simply not enough time for life to get started on its own or develop naturalistically. Ask any good statistician who has also studied biology about the probability of that happening. If you have ever wondered why some scientists like to talk about a multiverse with billions of universes outside our own, one of the reasons is that statistically it improves the odds that life could self-assemble somewhere in one of the universes without a designer creator, and we just happen to be the lucky one that won the big lottery. Someday, we should compare the odds of life starting on its own to our own lottery system. It's an interesting exercise. We all know how the odds of anyone winning the lottery are very, very small. And yet, someone does almost every week in any given state. We think, wow, they are really lucky. What would you think if someone were to win the state lottery two times in a row? <laughs> that would be absolutely incredible. But I believe that has actually happened a couple of times. Amazing, we say. What if someone were to win the state lottery ten times in a row? Would we still be saying that she is very lucky 
Or would we start to question if maybe there was more than luck involved, that somehow there was someone behind the scenes that were kind of helping things along? What if she won every time for a year? By now, everyone would be convinced that this was more than just luck. Some intelligent mind was helping that person beat the odds. What if the lucky woman were to win every time for a year straight in three states, not just one, all at the same time? Five states. All 50 states every single time for a year. What are the odds that something like that could happen naturally? And yet, those are the kinds of odds people are up against when they propose that 150 different systems somehow become precisely tuned, that life somehow starts naturally on its own, and that that life somehow is able to self-replicate, and that that simple life form could somehow evolve into the complex life of creatures and plants that we see on our world today. Would you take those kinds of odds? Do you think that it could ever be possible for someone to win that many times in a row in 50 states without some kind of help from behind the scenes? For me, I have to conclude that this could not just happen. There must have been an intelligent mind behind it all. I call him my creator. I worship and honor him for his magnificent works. I want to get to know him better. So you might ask, if it is not to give evolution enough time, why am I promoting the idea that it is important for Christians to get on board with the idea of an old earth and life that extends back into deep time? I believe that this is important because of all of the other branches of science that have, through various independent, dispassionate methods, determined that life has been on this planet for a very, very long time. I believe that if Christians want to stay relevant, believable, credible, trusted, that they need to come to terms with the reality of an old earth. The longer we put this off, the more ineffective we become in our gospel ministry. Belief in a young earth has become the equivalent of belief that the sun revolves around the earth or that the earth is flat. It makes Christianity out to be nothing more than some crazy conspiracy group. 
Imagine witnessing to your neighbors, introducing them to Jesus, inviting them into a relationship with Him and fellowship with your church family, only to say in the end, and oh, by the way, if you want to join our group, you need to forget everything you know about science and start believing that the earth is only 6,000 years old. Say what? Six thousand years old? You're kidding me, right? I can hear them say. I would submit that many Christians today have established a huge fence around the gospel, a tall gate that blocks the way for people of any education at all to accept Christianity. If Christians want to be able to continue to share the gospel and the belief in a creator-designer God, they need to determine ways to be flexible on some of these points and allow for the overwhelming evidence that life goes back a long way on this earth. And it is not just about keeping people from church fellowship. It is also about losing people. As our young people become educated, as Christian educators themselves consider the mounting evidence for deep time, they become more and more disillusioned. Consider the fact that some churches and Many Christians even make this point a test of fellowship, even a test of friendship, a test of membership, a prerequisite for retaining church employment as a pastor or an educator. I am sad and embarrassed to say that this happens even within my own faith tradition. What happens when all of our young people are gone? What happens when all of our intellectual leaders are gone? And it's not just them. I believe that even those who strongly believe in a young universe, a young earth, are in danger as well. What happens when these have a crisis of faith? What happens when they lose a loved one, lose a relationship, or go through a period of profound suffering? As they start to reflect on all of the evidence for an old earth, I fear that many will, in their pain and anger, give up their faith in God altogether. Because... They have not taken the time to reconcile the evidence of an old earth with the biblical creation account. What other disciplines of science am I talking about? Well, I'm talking about astrophysics, chemistry, physics, archaeology, paleontology, and geology the earth sciences. 
Let's just focus in on the earth sciences for a few moments in closing. You know, when I was a young man attending my Bible college back in the late 70s, we used to try and cram the massive geological column and all of the worldwide deposits of sediments and biodeposits into a six to 10,000 year history. We were quite certain that the Genesis flood could account for all of these deposits and mountain building. We weren't too keen on the idea of dinosaurs living on the earth at the same time as people, but since we were convinced that the earth was only 6,000 years old, they must have been, somehow. Perhaps they were living on another continent. The theory of plate tectonics was still quite new in the 70s, and had not yet really become a serious challenge to our confidence in a young earth. But only a few years would pass before the situation would begin to rapidly change. We'll no doubt have to spend some more time on this in future lessons, but as we close today, just consider with me a few points. Science has shown ample evidence of identical fossils of life and rock formations showing up on the shorelines of the continents of Africa and the shorelines of South America, clearly showing that at one point in time, these two continents were joined together and shared the same geology and fossil life. Careful measurements of the ocean floor of the Atlantic show that this continental drifting apart took about 140 million years of plate tectonic activity. This means that the fossils of plant and animal life that were present where the two land masses split apart are about 140 million years old. Some Christians are skeptical of radiometric dating techniques. Well, here we have, without using radiometric dating, evidence, clear evidence, of life on this earth that is 140 million years old. The science of geology gives us convincing evidence for multiple ice ages, multiple flipping of the magnetic poles, multiple mass extinction events, that continental drift has formed one large supercontinent on at least three separate occasions, and that in between all of these cycles of events, the ice ages, the flipping of the magnetic poles, the mass extinction events, the continental drifts that form huge supercontinents on at least three occasions. In between all of these cycles are massive amounts of time. The vast amount of biodeposits located under our land and shallow ocean beds are simply 
far too massive to have been deposited by one flood event, and that rather it represents millions of years of biological material being buried by many catastrophic events. We could talk about the consistency of the geological column with the same index fossils at every level worldwide. There's just no way that one flood would have been able to sort various life forms that consistently worldwide. Engineers, no matter where they are working in the world, on land or offshore, when they are drilling for oil, can know exactly where they are at in the geological column based on the kinds of index fossils that are coming up in the drill core. To me, this could only be possible by having a very old Earth, where these various organisms were created, lived for a time, perhaps millions of years, and then went extinct, possibly by a mass extinction event that buried them in the sediment layer that makes them an index fossil for that time period. This pattern is repeated many times and gives our engineers of today the ability to know what level that they are at while looking for those wonderful pockets of biodeposits that give us the oil to run our world today. We could talk about radiometric dating techniques that independently and accurately date the rocks in which fossils of life are found to millions of years old. We could talk about ice core technology that is calibrated by known historic events that shows clear evidence of biological life dating back 100,000 years. Lake varves that contain evidence of life that date back 50,000 years. Carbon dating of human artifacts that date accurately back to as long as 50,000 years ago. We could go on. Much has been written about these things. It is easy to look up and do the research. My point is that with each passing year of field research by scientists who have no reason to try and prove long ages of life to accommodate evolution, because A, they're not evolutionary biologists, and B, millions of years are just not long enough anyways, are providing more and more evidence that life has been here for millions of years. As Christians who believe that life was designed and created by God through His Son, Jesus Christ, we need to be on top of this evidence. We need to understand this evidence. We need to accept the reality of it and somehow accommodate it to our understanding of the Genesis account of creation and the nature of inspiration. We can no longer just bury our heads in the sand and hope that it all goes away. Well, actually, I suppose that might work for some, 
Some have a tenacity of faith that cannot be shaken and may believe that it is better just to have a blind eye and a closed ear to this kind of evidence and all will be fine. The problem is that it will not win our friends to Christ. It will not keep our beloved young people from leaving the church, and it will not safeguard the believer who faces a severe crisis of faith. I believe we need to develop a system of belief that accounts for deep time and life that stretches far back into that time. To fail to do so, in the light of what we know in 2020, I believe, goes against the Gospel Commission and is perhaps the most irresponsible thing that we as Christians could do in this generation. I want to thank you for taking your time to make it to the end of this presentation. If you found this helpful and would like to see more presentations like this that seek harmony between God's two great books, be sure to subscribe. If you know of a friend that might benefit from our presentations here at Worldviews, please share with them. May you be blessed in the contemplation of the mysteries of creation and our Creator. Until next time, I say farewell for now.